If you'd like to grab your Bibles and open them to Matthew chapter 5. By the way, if you put a marker in that passage, it'll be good for you for the next rest of the summer. So <laughs> as we work through the Beatitudes one at a time. Blessed are those who mourn. For, I put a title on this. Blessed are those who are compa- blessed are the compassionate. I've changed it. Mine says, "Blessed are those who care enough to mourn." That's just gonna be what it's like. Uh, but as we go there, as we start preparing for this, you've heard of compassion fatigue. Uh, it's something that's been in our our lives in the relative rec- relatively recent past, I guess. You know, there are so many disasters. So well. Uh, informed on from all over the world, that at the point we just say, you know, for a while we, we say, hey, you know, I want to support this, I want to help these people, and after a while we go, you know, they're on their own. It's, it's like, I can only do so much, I can only care so much, it's like, uh, why do I even try to help? I'll, I'll help this one, and then there's another flood, there's another storm, there's another war, and what do you expect me to do? And we learn not to care. And, and it's not like we can always fix everything, of course we can't fix everything. We're not going to fix Ukraine. We're not going to fix uh, a flood. We're not going to do that. But but it doesn't mean we can't care. And in today's beatitude, blessed are those who mourn, one of the things we find is that God wants us to care. And, and so I, I, I my final chapter title on this, till I change it again, blessing for those who care enough to mourn. Okay, uh, we're going to try to understand just what mourning is. What does it mean to mourn? What is it that we are to mourn for or mourn over, and how can we learn to mourn? If, if you don't mourn, it's like, I can tell you all about mourning, but it's like, uh, that's nice, but I don't even know how to do that, and so we'll try to consider that. And then the blessing, for they shall be comforted, which is what means what makes it all worth it. Okay, so first of all, what mourning is. Mourning defied, really simple, grief or sadness. The, 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 there's this Greek word, penthuntes, right? Uh, you don't have to know that. It means to mourn, right? It's, it's not significantly different from our English word to mourn. We don't have to spend a whole lot of time that. Uh, and usually it is in the context of death or some major loss, and we mourn or we grieve uh, going through that loss. Okay, what is different between mourning and grief or mourning and sadness is the extent of it. Uh, time duration. Mourning is for a period of time where sadness may come and go. Grief is for you know, a specific thing. Grief is closer to mourning. But, but mourning is not a sadness that comes on suddenly and leaves suddenly. Mourning takes time. If it does not take time, it's not mourning. It's, it's sadness. It's, 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 it's a pang of grief. It's something like that. Mourning, mo- I, I know it sounds like I'm saying morning as opposed to evening. I, you know, Maybe if I was from the east, I'd say mourning or something. I don't know. But uh, another thing about mourning is mourning is personal. Uh, We understand someone is in mourning, right? You have suffered a loss. You are in mourning. It affects how you feel. It affects how you act. It affects how you relate. It affects affects the expression on your face. We recognize you are in mourning. We may have compassion for you in a sense, but we're we know we're not feeling what you're feeling. We, are, we try to be understanding. We try to, to share your sorrow to some extent, but we know that we don't feel what you feel as deeply as you do. We feel sadness, but they are in mourning, or you are in mourning in that. And so, uh, it really interesting. You know how I like to grab different Bibles and see what they do to different, to different words? I wanted to see what the different Bibles did with the word mourning. 
And I expected to find a lot of interesting things. Here's what, here's what you have is I looked in 11 translations of the Bible, okay, from, from uh, the Jesus book to the Geneva Bible, which was written 50 years before the King James Bible. The only one that didn't use the word mourning was the Jesus book. <laughs> and it's not technically in English. <laughs> it's technically in pidgin. Uh, and, and, and I liked what it said. It said, uh, the people that cry inside their hearts. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's a good definition, a good understanding of, of, of mourning, uh, of what mourning is. But, but every single other translation, out of so, so ten others uh, in English that I checked used the word mourning. They didn't use, all use the same word for blessing. Uh, they didn't introduce it all the same way, you know, the words surrounding it. But they all use mourning, which is something that should tell you, if nothing else, you're not going to improve on the word mourning, right? Mourning is the best word we have to describe what Jesus is saying. When it says, blessed are those who mourn, he means blessed are those who mourn, not something else. Right? That he is, he is saying specifically what it is. Mourn is the right word. It is the word you are supposed to see. And you are supposed to understand what it means. Blessed are those who feel deep sorrow and sadness. Wow. That's kind of, uh, counterintuitive. <laughs> Doesn't sound right. Uh, an illustration of mourning from the Bible. And by the way, this is mourning for the wrong thing. But it's a really good illustration. It's in Revelation where they're mourning for the loss of Babylon. <laughs> when I say it's a, it's a it talk about a contrary illustration, uh, but it's the world mourning for the loss of the thing they love most, which is Babylon. In this case, it's, it's what we call uh, financial Babylon. Uh, and it's Revelation 18, 7 through 8. And, and uh, then I'm going to read a little bit farther in 15 through 19. Revelation 18, 7 through 8. To the extent that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, to the same extent give her torment and mourning. So you see where I get the mourning. For she said, as it says in her heart, I sit as a queen and I am not a widow and I will never see mourning. For this reason in one day her plagues will come, plague and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire And the Lord said, for the Lord God who judges her is strong. So he says, I'm going to bring mourning upon her. And then we start down to verse 11. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold, silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of article of ivory, and every article made from valuable wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, perfume, frankincense, wine, olive oil, fine wallflower, wheat, cattle, sheep, cargoes of horses, carriages, slaves, human lives. The fruit you long for has left you, and all things that were luxurious and splendid have passed away from you. Your people will no longer find them. The merchants of these things who became rich from her will stand at a distance because of the fear of her torment, weeping and mourning. They're mourning because they have lost everything that they valued. Not just everything, they, they're, they're seeing the collapse of everything they valued. They loved their trade. They loved their ability to get rich. They loved their wealth. And it is all taken away from them. And they go into mourning because they lost what they have most deeply loved. And, and, and it seems kind, seems kind I, I, I didn't tell you I struggled with using that illustration for a little bit. But the more I looked at it, uh, that's the best illustration I can find. Oh, no, I've lost. You know, and think about, I, I hate to, to lay this on you, but think about losing your possessions. <laughs> you know, we all go, you go home, and where your house was, there's a lot. 
<laughs> Maybe a hole. And you know, it's like, it's not, you can't explain it. It's, it's like, my fire insurance doesn't cover disappearance. <laughs> you know? uh, I don't know what to do with this. I lost it all. Babylon represents riches. Babylon represents evil. Babylon represents man's provision for himself. And they mourn as they see it taken away. And we can see and understand mourning from that illustration that he gives us. And it's a negative example, but it teaches us what mourning is. And Jesus tells us that God blesses those who mourn, who have this feeling, who have this emotion. Uh, he blesses those who do it. So we're still un, uh, a long way from understanding what he wants, but this is the word we're looking on, we're working on. Okay, so the, the next question then is, well, then what is it we are supposed to mourn over? What is it we mourn for? For instance, are we supposed to mourn over our sin and guilt? Is, is that what we're supposed to mourn over? Are we supposed to mourn over lost ones? Are we supposed to mourn over the, lo the, the lost people? Uh, are we supposed to mourn over the sinfulness of the world? And, and, and it's real easy to come up with. Here, here's, here's something is, is we want to say, uh, because this is a spiritual book, it's in the Bible, it's talking about spiritual things. And I'm not going to say it's not, but I'm going to say yeah, I don't see that limit. Limited. And so uh, I followed it again. I followed through scripture. I thought, what examples can we find in the Bible of people mourning? And what are they mourning over? Now, and, and I will tell you, not all of these use the word mourn. In fact, the, the first three examples I have don't use the word mourn, but I think you see it in there. Matthew 9 36 is a, is a familiar passage. Uh, you, you may not be able to quote it, but you know it. Uh, Matthew 9.36 says this, Seeing the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus saw the people who did not know him, the people who did not know God, who were not following, and he felt bad for them. And, and, and as we saw, the word mourning is a stronger word than that, but you can see that this is an application of the same kind of thing. He cares about these people. He does not say they've gotten what they deserve. He does not say, can't wait for judgment day on these people. He says he mourns for them. He sees them like sheep without a shepherd, people who need something that they don't have. And he, he, he's grieving, grieving maybe too strong a word. It says he, he uh, had compassion for them, sympathy, felt pain for them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And that, that's the first example. The second one is still in Matthew chapter 24. In Matthew 24, Jesus is looking at Jerusalem from outside the city. He's looking at Jerusalem. And, and again, we don't see the word mourn, but listen to what it says. Matthew 24, verses 37 through 39. He, he's talking about... Okay, 24, 37 through 39 is not correct. So give me a minute. Twenty-six or twenty-three, I mean, thirty-seven through thirty-nine. I'm going to write that down. I'm not going to use these notes again, but I'm still writing it down. Twenty-three, thirty-seven through thirty-nine. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who have been sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. 
Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. For I say to you, from now on you will not see me until you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And you hear, you hear that, 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 I, it, it, that, that phrase. I want to say, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, because that's the way I've read it before, and that oh just adds a lot to it. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who are sent to you. And, and you could say that with a lot of different inflections, couldn't you? You could say it like, ha, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. <laughs> I'm, I'm absolutely convinced that's not what Jesus said. But I, I, I see him saying this with a breaking heart as he sees this city that has rejected him, that has rejected God, that has rejected the prophets again and again and again. And he says, how I wished I could have gathered you together the way a hen, you know, why does a hen gather the chicks under its wings? To protect them. He says, I wanted to protect you. I want to protect you from this thing that's coming on you now that you would not take protection from. And now it's going to come on you because of that. And he goes on to start describing what's going to happen in Jerusalem or to Jerusalem. And, and, and we have mourning over the lostness of, of rebellious people. John 11.35, you may not know the reference, but you know the verse. Jesus wept. <laughs> Jesus, and, and it's in the story, it's in the context of, of the story of Lazarus. And Jesus has, has already told the disciples, let's go see him. He's dead. And, and, and uh, Thomas, uh, my, one of my favorite disciples, says, let's go so we can die with him because he figures they're going to kill Jesus because they're already looking for him. And, and they go up there, and as they go along, Martha comes to Jesus and says, Lord, if you'd been here, he would not have died. And then he comes a little farther, and Mary comes up, and she says, Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, he would not have died. And Jesus wept. Why did he wept? Because they didn't trust him? <laughs> he, he wept. He, he knew he was about to raise, raise Lazarus from the dead. He came with a plan. That was his intention. He knows what he's going to do. He knows he's going to be successful. He knows their grieving is going to turn into rejoicing. But he, why is it, so why does he weep? And the, answer is, the only answer that makes sense is that he felt their pain. Right? He, he, under, he saw their mourning, and he mourned with those who mourned. We wept with those who wept, and Jesus wept. Now, this next one does use the word mourn. We're in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And, and to put you in context with 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there, there is a man in the church who is committing a horrible sin. He's living with his stepmother. Okay? Uh, and, and he's going to church while doing this. Uh, and, and everybody says, it's okay. It's fine. And Paul is talking about that. And he's talking about how they should have responded to that. He says, you have become arrogant and have not mourned instead, so that the one who has done this deed would be removed from your midst. He says, you should have, and this is the word mourn. This is that same word, pentuthes. Ness uh, is that same Greek word. And he says, you should have mourned over what you saw. Going. This should have made you feel bad. This should have affected you deeply. It should have pained you to see this sin inside the church. It's a strong word. It's not a mild word. It's not saying this should have hurt your feelings. He's saying this should have hurt you deeply to see this sin inside the church. And instead, you guys act like it's okay. And so, so we have that example of mourn. And then we have one more, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 21. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 21 says, 
Paul, and again, a little context, Paul is talking to the Corinthians about his going back to visit them. He's had some hard times. They haven't liked him. They haven't wanted him around. He is planning to go back, and he's afraid that when he goes back, he's going to find people unrepentant. Okay? He says, I am afraid that when I come again, my God may humiliate me before you, and I may mourn over many of those who have sinned in the past and not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and indecent behavior which they have practiced. He says, I will go there. I'm afraid that I will go there and, and be put in a situation where I have to mourn over your continued sinfulness, your continued rebellion and sinfulness. That, that, that's what we have there. And so, so now, I'm going to bring this back to the question I started from which is, what are we to mourn for? Here are the examples we have. We have mourning for the lost. We have mourning for the suffering brought on by sin, as in the case of Jerusalem. We have mourning with those who are mourning, as in the case of Mary and Martha. Mourning over sin, as in 1 Corinthians 5, and mourning over unrepented sin, as in 1 Corinthians 12. So so you come back to the question, what are we supposed to mourn over? Based on these biblical examples, it's not a very limited question. I mean, it's not a very limited answer. And and there's nothing in the text to to put a limit on it. It just says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And he does not put a limit over the things we are to, to mourn over. It just says mourn, and it doesn't say why. And it leaves the door wide open to almost anything that you might mourn over. He says, blessed are those who mourn. And, and at the same time, I don't think it means we are to always go about mourning. I mean, we just sang a song about I'm trading my sorrows, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's, it's so funny to, to sing that song while thinking about, and I'm going to be preaching on this in a minute, <laughs> kind of the other side of it. But, but we do. We, I'm sure Jesus was not always sorrowful. He was called the man of sorrows, but I'm sure Jesus spent time joyful as well. He went to a wedding. He turned water into wine. He was, he was a, not a gloomy Gus. He was a guy who knew how to rejoice and a guy who knew how to mourn. Guess what we are supposed to be? We're supposed to be that too. We're supposed to be people who know how to rejoice and people who know how to mourn. You go to a wedding, don't mourn. (laughs) You go to a wedding, rejoice. You go to a funeral, you can mourn. But a lot of times a funeral is a wonderful opportunity to rejoice, right? Uh, Funerals can be better than, well, I don't want to say that. I will say this, I've never had a funeral fail. So, so. Yeah, I buried that guy, but he got back up. So, so mourning isn't always mourning, and so, so I don't think this verse is saying we have to be always mourning or only morning. And so I came to my title, and I went back and I started reworking things, and, and blessed are those who care enough to mourn. Because the key to mourning is to care. You can't mourn if you don't care. And if you don't care, you, you won't mourn. If you do care, you will mourn. Uh, yeah, I think it's those who care enough to mourn. And, and that gets hard for me. I'm so quick. We tell Judah to do something. He says, I don't want to do it. Guess what words come out of Papa's mouth? I don't care what you want to do. It's like instant. I don't care. You're going to do it. (laughs) I don't care. It's so easy to not care. You know, we're supposed to. It's Romans 12, 15. says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Why? Because we care about them. 
why, why, do, why do I rejoice at a wedding? I'm not getting married. <laughs> I've been, I, I am married. I'm not getting married. Why do I rejoice? At a, you, you share the joy of the couple getting married. Why do you mourn at a funeral? I'm not dead <laughs> yet. <laughs> but you mourn with those who mourn. You care about the people who are left behind. And, and it's because you care that you do this. And, and, and so why do we have trouble not mourning? Do I care enough about my sin? Do I shrug it off? Yeah, that's too bad. Well, Jesus died for it. I'm okay. Do we care enough about the lost? Yeah, you know, they could have they could have asked Jesus to be their savior. They're they're tough luck. That same chance I did, it's their problem. Do we care enough or do we do we make excuses? Do we write it off? Do we do nothing about it? You know, what might we mourn? Well, we might mourn our sin. Here I am, someone who loves Jesus, and yet I keep finding myself sinning. Am I the only one that ever says, Lord, what's wrong with me? I, sometimes I cannot understand. I do not understand myself, except I know that it's biblical because Paul asked the same question. Oh, wretched man that I am. What might we mourn? We live in a lost and sinful world. What might we mourn? It's, if we care, it's easy to find things to mourn. And if, it's, if we don't care, then we don't mourn. It's not a problem. So how do we learn to mourn? Yeah, I'll tell you something. I think we have taught ourselves not to care or to not care deeply. We see too much. Yeah, you turn on the news and you see so much. And we get that compassion overkill. And we can't I can't, I can't care about everything. There's too much out there. It's beyond my ability to relate. And so we learn not to care. And so I, I said, well, I'm going to care about the things that are closer to me, but, but I have problems doing that too. You know what? I, let me throw you a... Uh, we're going to take a little vocabulary tour here for a minute. Muse. M-U-S-E, muse. Okay, The word muse means to think or consider deeply and at length, to meditate. Muse, the word museum, a place where we are to go and look and think deeply. Okay, Makes a lot of sense. Here's another word for you, amuse. What does the prefix a do to the word muse? So it's like atheist. A theist is someone who believes in God. An atheist is someone who does not believe in God. A Gnostic is someone who knows. An agnostic is someone who does not know. What do you believe about God? I don't know. I'm an agnostic. Okay. Nobody's going, no agnostic will go to heaven. <laughs> okay, you have to know Jesus. You have to know Christ. You can't not know. So amuse means to not think deeply or meditate. I say that. Technically, amuse means to entertain or pleasantly distract. Okay? We love our amusements. Friday, I'm going to Silverwood. <laughs> an amusement park. Not amusement park. <laughs> it's an amusement park. <laughs> right? We live in a world where there's an awful lot of money being made on amusement, isn't there? How hard is it to be distracted? To, to allow yourself or create a situation where you don't think deeply about something. It's, it's, the hard thing is to, to actually spend time away from distractions. And, and so I know I've said this before. I'll give you, give you the first clue. When you drive, turn off the radio and be left with no one but yourself and your brain. 
and think. It's not, not a bad start. We, we, have to, we have to learn to muse. We have, and, and what am I saying? What, where am I getting this? You know, it's, it's uh, um, well, actually, before we get there, you know, even in Scripture, pleasure or enjoyment is contrasted with, with uh, mourning. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, starting at verse 2, 2 through 4. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to a house of feasting. Did I say there was a contrast? Yeah. Mourning is contrasted with, with pleasure or entertainment or amusement, or whatever you want to call it. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to a house of feasting, because that is the end of every person, and the living takes it to heart. Oh, takes it to heart, muses on it, <laughs> meditates on it, thinks on it. You, why does a pastor like funerals? Because he gets to share the gospel with people who might not hear it otherwise. At a time when they are exposed to death and reminded, that's my end. And they might be ready to take more seriously what it is he has to say. That's why a pastor likes funerals. Sorrow is better than laughter. For when a face is sad, a heart may be happy. The mind of the wise is in the house of mourning, while the mind of fools is in the house of pleasure. Contrast, mourning and pleasure. Uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 25, just to throw in a New Testament reference. Luke 6, 25 says, Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn. <laughs> and it's contrast. Laughter and mourning. He puts the two across. So remember we went a few weeks ago in uh, Isaiah. Somehow I got onto this thing uh, that was, is found in Jeremiah and Hosea. <laughs> On break up your fallow ground. Break up your fallow ground. Go deeper. Now, that's how I got onto this muse and amusement and pondering all that stuff. We're, we're, shallow people don't mourn. Shallow people don't grieve because we don't care enough. We don't go deep enough. He says, break up your fallow ground. Go deeper, deeper thinking, deeper feeling. Okay? Don't stop when it gets uncomfortable. Because he gets to the blessing. They shall be comforted. We love our amusements. We love our comforts. And when something begins to be uncomfortable, we stop. We say, that's not comfortable. I'm not doing that anymore. And so we pull back to protect ourselves from the mourning. Because mourning is not fun. Mourning hurts. We don't enjoy it. And so we stop. To care deeply carries a cost. And we don't want to pay that price, so we only go so far. We, we, if we care enough to hurt, uh, then we don't want to. So we care less. Care, yeah. So we learn to care less. But if we learn to hurt, if we learn to to, to, to mourn, comfort will come. And I want to tell you, it's real easy to read this. You go, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. But hey, if I don't mourn in the first place, I don't need to be comforted. I'm, I'm a winner by not mourning. I get ahead by not getting into this thing. What is this thing about comfort that is so important? And the answer is that there are things worth mourning, that there's something wrong with you. You're missing out if you don't. It's not fun, but it's good. It's not fun, but it's important. 
When my dad died, I'll tell you, first of all, I'll start with when my mom died. When my mom died, I was destroyed. I was devastated. Uh, she was 59 years old. Uh, she died suddenly and without warning. Mom rejected my attempts to share the gospel with her. And I was left with that, and I was utterly destroyed. And, and my brothers and sisters were saying things like, well, she's happier now. She's in a better place now. And everything they said was twisting the knife, and it hurt more. But it was worse when my dad died in, in at least this one way. Dad died of cancer. Over time, it was expected. It was the kind of thing where when he goes, you kind of breathe a sigh of relief. And, but dad, same thing. It's not so much that he rejected my attempts to share the gospel is that he, um, absorbed them. You know, Dad's only statement to me, because Dad was raised in an evangelical church, signed a thing saying he would raise his Catholic so he could marry Mom, because she was Catholic, and that was the rules they had. Still have those rules, not everybody follows them, <laughs> but if you want to be married in the church, in the Catholic church, that's what you do. Okay, so, so he signed that, so he raised us Catholic, and he did not violate that at any point. And so when I'd ask Dad about what he believed, all he would say is, Steve, I believe what I've always believed. And I never got more than that out of him. Steve, I believe what... So when he died, it wasn't the same kind of powerful grief that I had when Mom died, but it, it, it hit me differently, and I, I, I felt myself... I, I, the, 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 ver, the, the mental picture I have is an armadillo curling up into a ball with that hard shell all around so that nothing can get to it. And I, I knew God wanted me to take this to him, and I didn't want to. Because this was my grief, and, and I did not want to take it to God. I, 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 I had a right to be angry. I had a right to be hurt. And, and I, I knew, I, and I, by the way, by this time, so uh, I'd been a pastor for 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> be careful what you preach because it will come back and haunt you. And I'd, I, I was listening to what I had said myself before, and I knew what I would say to myself. I'd say, open up and trust God, and you will be blessed. But I didn't want to. And finally, sitting in that office, right about there, <laughs> I remember being kind of hunched over and praying. And I listened to my own advice. And I, I said, okay, God, this is yours. And I want to tell you something. I was comforted. This is not psychological. This is supernatural. This is real. And, and had I not, see, why would I not mourn? Because I didn't want to feel the pain. I didn't want to go there. I was shelling myself off so it wouldn't get worse. And if I didn't go there, then I could protect myself and it wouldn't be there. But I was better. See, to be comforted is more than just... Be, being made back to where you were. It is being, it is growing. It is to receiving a blessing. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, because there are things that you should mourn over. There are things that should not, and I went through a list, and you can say, well, I, don't, I haven't had that one, I haven't had this one, I haven't had that one, but I guarantee you've had issues, things that have hurt you deeply enough to make you mourn, right? And blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Express that mourning to God. Let him in on your mourning. 
Because if you don't, you will not be comforted. you still got those things in his life. The one promise in the Bible everybody believes, in this world you will have tribulation. Everybody believes it because everybody has proven it. Right? In this world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. Why? For I have overcome the world. And his blessings are greater than the suffering. And it's true. And I can, I can tell you it's true because I'm a preacher and it says it's in God's word, but I can tell you it's true because I've experienced it. Right? This, I don't dye my hair gray. <laughs> I know you look and say, he's so youthful. He must dye his hair gray. <laughs> I don't know what this means for people who don't, don't mourn. But they're missing out on something. It's like people who don't go outside in the summer because they're afraid of the sun. Right? It's like people who don't go out in the winter because they're afraid of the cold. And what are they doing? They're staying in the house where it's comfortable. Right? And, and how many of you, some, some of you go, preacher, that's what I do. <laughs> and some of you are going, oh, no, that's so sad. Because in the summer, is there not cool stuff to do outside? And in the winter, is there not cool stuff to do outside? And all the best stuff is stuff you get hurt at, right? It's, like, <laughs> it's just the way it is. It's a truth. Uh, you go outside your comfort zone, and life is better outside your comfort zone. That's what we do with the subject of pain that we feel in our lives. And he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It is better for you to mourn and be comforted than to stay comfortable and not mourn. It's just that simple. People who mourn embrace a certain amount of hurt that others avoid, but the benefits are greater than the losses. There are things that should be rejoiced over, and there are things that should be wept over. Be free to rejoice. Be free to mourn. Let yourself do it. And trust God to give you the blessings that make it all worth it. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you I thank you that you love us whatever is coming our way and that in this world, Father, teach us to care. Help us to care the way we ought to. Help us to love the way we ought to. Help us to feel the way we ought to. And help us to find you the way we ought to. I pray in Jesus' name.